Help keep Kinks and Beats daily ad-free and receive bonus content early with a contribution of 20 cents per episode. Visit herohabit.com slash shop for more information. Welcome to Kinks and Beats Daily. I just said a bit of the intro with the mic muted. This is obviously the most professional podcast on the internet. Episode 107 of Kinks and Beats Daily. I am your host, Tony Fry. Thank you for downloading as always. Um, before we get started, I want to go over a little bit of housekeeping. First, I'd like to talk to you about my underwear. No, I'm just kidding. Anybody who's listened to podcasts, though, has heard um, their their podcast hosts mention their underwear or how they hire new recruits or the mattresses they sleep on. We don't want to do that here. And I want to thank um, the people who have been contributing monthly for just 20 cents an episode uh, to help help keep this podcast ad free and to keep it paid for because there's an expense to um, producing this every day. And I really appreciate it. Those folks are getting bonus content uh, early before it gets released to everybody else. So that's my special thank you. And there's more bonus content coming soon because I am, um, I'm getting way ahead on recording because I will need to be taking some maternity leave in June. And so the podcast will go, um, well, I guess I'll be taking the paternity leave, but you know what I mean? But anyway, the uh, podcast will go on uninterrupted. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm getting way ahead and, uh, and recording a ton of episodes up front, which means that I won't be able to respond to voicemails and emails and stuff, you know, in relative real time. So what we're going to do is if you send me emails or voicemails about specific songs, we're going to compile those every, I don't know, three or four weeks into bonus episodes of like listener mail. And, um, and that way we'll do that throughout, but that way we can, we can keep kind of engaging your, you know, with each other and you can engage with the podcast, uh, even when the episode you're listening to the day it's released, I recorded maybe two or three months ago. So, and that will also, if there's any big news going on in the worlds of kinks and Beatles, um, we will do those as bonus episodes as well. So I think that was all I wanted to say today. Today we are talking about Tomorrow Never Knows, which was released August 5th, 1966, as the closing track on Revolver. Talk about a closing track. And really, it's a cool closing track because Revolver, I kind of feel, is a transitional album. I think a lot of people think Rubber Soul is a transitional album. But I really feel Revolver is the transitional album because... You know, Rubber Soul, while it is a leap forward for the band as far as their songwriting, their recording um, ability in the studio, at the heart of it, it's still the Beatles as they had been known for three years prior. You know, we still got songs like Michelle and Norwegian Wood and all that. And while the lyrics might be more introspective or autobiographical, the songs are still you know, typically structured Beatles songs. Revolver, though, is kind of the 
the um, transition from traditional rubber sole recording into what is going to become Sgt. Pepper. And, you know, the recordings are getting more far out. None of this can be replicated live. You know, where a lot of rubber sole, they could still do it live. It would, They were more complex arrangements, sure. But, you know, they did some of those songs in concert um, just fine. They're not going to do Eleanor Rigby in concert. They're not going to do Tomorrow Never Knows for sure. They're not going to do the Indian music. They're not going to... Uh, a lot of this stuff just can't be done faithfully. It would have to be rearranged. And uh, and then you get to Pepper, and virtually none of that can be reproduced live at the time. Obviously, it can now. So Revolver is kind of a transitional album, and we go through, you know, it opens with Taxman, and that's, a you know, it's a good little rocker, but there's nothing crazy about that one. Um, and then you got, you know, Eleanor Rigby and Good Day Sunshine and Yellow Submarine and, and you know, I'm Only Sleeping. So there's shades of things getting more far out, but not totally far out. But then the album closes with Tomorrow Never Knows. And this is almost like the to-be-continued dot, dot, dot of what's to come. You know, it's it's... It's like, all right, you stayed with us. Things got a little bit weird on Love You Too. Things got a little bit weird on I'm Only Sleeping. Things got a little bit weird, you know. And then they get to Tomorrow Never Knows, and they're like, you better get used to it because things are just weird now. But I, what's interesting, though, is that even though it works as the perfect album closer, um, something that the Beatles were getting pretty adept at, their sequencing of albums, it works as the perfect album closer. It was actually the first thing they recorded for the sessions. Um, the f- sessions began April 6th, 1966 for Revolver. On that day, three takes were recorded of this song. The third take is the basis of what we heard, what we hear on Revolver. That was marked best. That's where they added the overdubs and, and you know guitar solos and tape loops and all that stuff. Take two, they didn't finish. It fell apart. And take one is the version that we hear on the Beatles anthology, which is completely different. So in over the course of one session and just three takes, the Beatles had completely evolved this song from one style and groove and feel to a completely different style and feel and groove in three takes. Which is crazy. Um, I mean, these guys are just firing on all cylinders. And not just the Beatles. The producers and the technicians and the engineers, they're all firing on all cylinders. This had to have been a fun time to be in the studio uh, with this particular group of people. Now, when you think about it, just five months prior, almost to the day, uh, in the fir- in the first weeks of June 1965, this is the last time the Beatles are in the recording studio before Revolver, right? They're putting the final touches on Rubber Soul. What are they recording that week? Michelle, you won't see me. Think for yourself and what goes on. So they left the studio recording what goes on, little country song, and Michelle, a beautiful ballad, and then come back a couple months later and they're doing Tomorrow Never Knows. So not only is the evolution of the band just in three takes of recording this song incredible but the evolution of the band 
in the time between Rubber Soul and Revolver is incredible. This is the first song to utilize tape loops and reverse sounds. And before you jump down my throat, yes, Rain was the first song that anybody heard with background vocals, but that was actually recorded after Tomorrow Never Knows. That was, you know, uh, it was released as the B-side before Revolver was released, but it was recorded during those sessions. The working title of this song was Mark One, and then the final title, Tomorrow Never Knows, was inspired by a phrase Ringo used to say. So this is not the first time that a Ringo malapropism is used as the title of the song, because you'll notice that nowhere in the lyrics of this song does he even mention Tomorrow Never Knows. Paul liked the song so much that when it was done, he went and played it to a bunch of people. He played it to the Stones and the Who and, you know, some people that were, you know, the biggest names at the time. And when he played it for Bob Dylan, Dylan said, oh, I get it. You don't want to be cute anymore. And then he walked out of the room. That's kind of an interesting response to it. Um, All sorts of new recording techniques come out of this. Out of the revolver sessions in general, they basically invent artificial double tracking, which is still used today. They invent the term flanging, which is still used today. They completely redo how they record drum sets, which was going to be used for uh, the next couple albums. And I think if you listen to revolver, if you listen to Ringo's work on revolver, his drums have never sounded better. This to me is my favorite era for the sound of his drums. I mean, he drums great, like on Abbey Road. His his the, his playing is incredible, but I think his drums sound better on Revolver. the 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 way they used mic placements and compression was completely shifting. They were there was a time when you had to have the bass mic a certain number of inches away from the bass drum, and there were guys in the studio that would go out with a tape measure and measure it to make sure. And the Beatles were pushing. These were the little things that they were doing to push the boundaries. The Beatles and the the staff of guys around them partly out of ignorance partly out of creativity but they would like push the mic a little bit closer to get that real you know deep bass tone and so by the time they get to revolver they are kind of writing their own rules about mic placement they're adding compression to places they didn't add compression um they stuck a big sweater inside the bass drum to deaden that which they hadn't done before it was a little bit more of a wobbly tone before so everything about this recording process is changing and Ringo's drumming on this song is the stuff of legend. I mean, it's <clears throat> there's no fills. It's just a drone. The whole song is a drone, right? From the whole rhythm track, Paul never stops playing a C. The rhythm changes, but he's always playing a C. Ringo's just doing this ostinato drum pattern with those tom hits, uh, which is a, a little bit more difficult to play than it sounds unless you're a good drummer. Um, and the whole song kind of just drones in C the whole time. The only uh, instance where it feels like it's shifting keys is kind of a, a, an oral illusion because the vamp and the drone remains in C the entire time and John's vocals remain in C, although not C major, it's more of a modal thing, but it's still rooted in C. Um, but the, like, there's some, some, some of the loops coming and going give the illusion of a key change. There's an orchestral loop that drops down a a whole step to B flat. 
and those things, but the band still plays in C. So you kind of get this dissonance and an illusion that we're changing chords. But for all intents and purposes, the chords never change. This is in C the whole time. Uh, one other cool thing, after the backwards guitar solo, which is incredible unto itself, um, John's vocals can be heard processed through a Leslie speaker. It's the first time they did that. Uh, the Leslie speaker was built for the Hammond organ, and it's got a revolving horn in it. And that's why the organs have that that fluctuating sound. They're not just long tones. Um, if you hold the keys down, you get that wobbly sound. And that's from the horn circling and and actually you know affecting the the uh the vibrations in the air at a at a alternating pace and the faster the wobble the faster the horn is going and so they had to do some rewiring of the uh speaker but they ran john's voice through it and you hear it after the solo he goes from before the solo it's adt tracked or adt vocals after the solo, he's run through this Leslie speaker. And this is not the last time they're going to run things through a Leslie speaker. After this, they do it all the time. Uh, you hear it like uh, the piano breaks on the song Birthday from the White Album are run through a speaker in much the same fashion, distorted and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of creativity going around in this song. And as much as it's the perfect album closer, I think it's probably the perfect session opener because by starting with this song and ending up with the finished product that they had and it being such a collaborative thing george doing the backwards guitar part ringo putting in this iconic drum line paul bringing in all these tape loops that he made at home um, the tape loops were completely random they had them all running at the same time and run through separate speaker or separate channels on the mixing console and as they were recording you know, bouncing the tracks, they would just bring up faders and bring down faders and mute the tracks at random. So it would be totally different every time they did it. And and kind of, uh, I think it was Phil McDonald, who was one of the engineers on it, said he played the mixing board as if it was an early synthesizer because every fader he brought up would be a different tape loop or a different sound effect or whatever it was. So there was a very collaborative, very experimental, um, seemed like anything could go. And I think if you start an album recording sessions with that kind of attitude in the in the studio, you got nowhere to go but up. And then they go and record what many consider to be their greatest album, definitely one on a list of masterpieces they release. But I think you owe a lot to that, the, to this being the first song recorded for that project so that's tomorrow never knows there's more we could talk about i'm sure if you want to talk more about it give me a call at 925-494-1739 or you can email me kinksandbeats at herohabit.com and if you swing by herohabit.com under the podcast button you will find all the information you need so if you want to get a hold of me just remember herohabit.com look for the podcast page for Kinks and Beats Daily, and it has all the ways you can contact me or join one of our community discussion groups. All right, I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. This podcast is presented by the Hero Habit Podcast Network. 
Swing by HeroHabit.com today to comment on this episode and poke around our growing database of sports and pop culture news, reviews, and collectibles. HeroHabit.com. Collect your heroes.